0: I've had a bunch of people the last few weeks ask if i do an episode just on promoting a book. And I will. I promise. But for now, as I sit here a week away from the release of my new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaqville, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, I'm exhausted, I'm battered, I'm definitely a bit dizzy. And I'll say this, you have to bust ass. You have to ask favors. You have to spend some of your own money. It's not fun. It can be a bit humiliating. You sometimes wonder whether you signed up to be an author or a publicist. But ultimately, this is your book. You wrote it, you believe in it, and you need to get it out there by any means necessary. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, a podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's episode features Jeff Benz, the Manhattanville College writing professor and author of The Mighty Oak, a new book about the fictional hockey goon Tim O'Connor that I consider sincerely to be the best thing I've read this year. This is episode number 173. Let's sling some yang.
1: Dad, being sucks.
0: All right, Jeff. So uh, I'm looking at you and I haven't seen you since. It's probably been seven or eight years. I was an adjunct in Manhattanville, and um, this book shows up. You, said, you, you sent me an email, and you said, okay, I send you send you my book. And, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not saying I'm anybody because I'm, I'm no one and who gives a shit, and it's all, it all doesn't matter. But, like, I do get a good number of books sent to me through the years. As your books sell more, it seems like you get more books sent to you. And, oh, all right, I'll, yeah, I'll read it. I, don't, I mean, yeah, I don't know. And then I, uh, I pick it up one night, and I just start reading it. It's fucking great. It's great. It is a great, great book. Uh, it's called The Mighty Oak. It's great. And I wonder, this is going to sound weird. Everything I write, I hate. Like, I put it out there and I feel crappy about it until people start telling me they like it. You write this, you're done with it. Do you feel like, I wrote a great book, this is great, or are you like, I have no idea?
1: No, I felt like when I was writing this book and when I'm writing anything that I think might be working... It's a matter of feeling connected, um, and I felt sort of connected like this was being written from my gut and from and from my heart, not like from my brain. Like I wasn't trying to brain it out. If that makes sense, it's a long process. I started this book ten years ago. Oh. Uh, yes, yeah, book took ten you know ten years to get to two hundred and seventy five pages or whatever it is, but. It was a feeling of when I finally got it to where I wanted it to be, I felt like, well, something had been, had been completed. So it's not even a matter of, I, and I like the feeling of completion. Yeah. So it's not a matter of hating it or liking it. It's the feeling of a loop has been closed, and then with the publication of it, I feel like, okay, that's what it was meant for. I felt like when writing it that it might connect with people, hoped it would connect with some people, and so here it is certainly connected with some people, you
0: know, my publisher, I guess, and you. I don't even know what that means. I spent 10 years working on a book. That doesn't even compute in my brain. What does that actually mean? But what it means is like I'm, I'm
1: drawn to place. So it takes me a long time to find a place that I'm interested in, uh, a place that I feel like I can draw from and I can write from and I can respond to and, and, and react to and, and explore it. With this book, it started, you know, with Boston and with South Boston and everybody thinks South Boston is still this kind of, you know, tough Irish neighborhood, which it still is in some respects and has, from my understanding of it, still this, you know, strong history and this strong sense of place. But it's also like so many places now, you can't buy in there for less than $600,000, $500,000. It's easy to spend a million dollars now in Southie. Um, So there was this notion I had that like this, that, that, Maybe this transitioning place um, was sort of calling to me a little bit, you know. Um, and so I spent a lot of time and, and just getting a sense of the place and who would live there and and what kind of character might 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 come from there. Um, the other things that interest me is work, so I gotta then find some kind of job that sort of fits in my mind with place. So to kind of wade into place and then wade into occupation and to get them accurately. I mean, I'm not a hockey player to get them accurately. What I hope is accurately, what
0: feels my gut is accurately. I don't know for me takes time, man. You didn't start this book with, I have this idea of a beaten down hockey player sort of toward the end of his run and he's a Boston guy and his life sucks. Boom. Go from there. That was not where this started. It is where it started, in a sense, but that to me is like a trope.
1: You know, it could be a cliche. That could be a story we've seen a million times. You know, the broken down boxer, the broken down athlete. Oh, life didn't work out. You know, ex wife, kid, all this kind of stuff. And I actually like tropes, and so I wanted to. I wanted to kind of work in that world, but I wanted it to feel. I, I wanted it to feel real. I wanted this character to feel like the character that I felt inside me and I wanted to try to get that out onto the page. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. But how do you, um, how do you do that? Like, um, see so yeah, how fiction intimidates me every now and then, someone will say, Oh, have you ever thought of writing fiction? And I have, but it just intimidates me. And I always think, I just don't know how something ends. Like I, I, I'm with, yeah. with nonfiction. There's always an ending. Someone dies or season ends or whatever, you know, a presidential campaign ends, something ends. So I am really fascinated in process. Like you, you have a character, You kind of have an idea of this story you're going to write. Are you outlining as you go along? Do you have a very clear picture of who the other characters are going to be? Or does it just come as you go?
1: Well, I have a character, don't forget, in place and with a job. Right. So, you know, to me, I want my writing to be visual. And so having interesting places, compelling places, not a suburban living room. I mean, I suppose that could be compelling, but you know what I mean? Um, so if I have a place in a job that I think is visually compelling, I feel like that does at least half the work. I don't know. you know, I hadn't thought about what percentage, but something like that. And then for the protagonist, it seems to me, you know, I want a main character who's got something we can identify with. I mean, you hear this term, and I, I can't think of a better one, so I'll use it. But that the, you want a wounded protagonist. It could be a comedic wound, you know, but nevertheless, a wounded protagonist. And so then what is plot? Well, you, you ask this notion of, of, of story. Well, it's like, I just wanna put pressure on that wound. So I wanna put pressure on that wound across an interesting place, across an interesting job. And if you have an interesting place, an interesting job, then naturally uh, interesting people are going to arise,
0: you know, in my writerly world. How much do you have to know? Like, I, I'm assuming from reading yeah. this, but having never talked about this, that so you must be a relatively big hockey fan. Is that safe to say? Uh, not necessarily. No. Nope. Interestingly enough, I'm
1: drawn to aspects of hockey and always have been. Uh, the physicality of it, the fact that it's the, the one sport that seems to, at lower levels, encourage fighting uh, and certainly still allow fighting uh, as part of its, the makeup of the game. That, to me, is interesting. Um, but I think you're going to ask about like, research, and the research I did on this book, that's part of what takes me a long time, too. I might be drawn to a place, into an occupation, and who knows why, but that doesn't necessarily mean I have any, under, I have any real understanding of it. I don't have any real understanding of hockey. I have a real understanding, I think, of this narrow
0: swath that this particular character moves through. I, I just want to say, like, there's a part here that kind of fascinates me, and it was on, it was on page seven, and it relates to, Siri, your, your main character is a hockey player. His nickname is Oak, and he's a, he's a badass. He's kind of in that um, pick whatever goon you want to pick from NHL history, except he's not as good a player, and he's kind of a lifer in the minors, and, he, you know, teams hire him for And didn't really want to be a goon, it should be said. Now,
1: maybe no one does, but right. but that's part doesn't see himself that way, but that's the only way that he's going to
0: continue on. Right, was a good player, Providence, and, you know, had this kind of, yeah, I, yeah. so you talk about, on, on page seven, he gets in this fight, and, which, and the fight's a big part of the book, um, Oak is the character's name, and he wrote, Oak sees McDonald's bloodied face, and then he has to look again against what he thinks he is seeing, and it's there, McDonald's right eyeball is hanging wet and red from his shattered eye socket to the blood pool in the ice, the quiet explodes. Two balls jump out from behind the blows in him like blocks thrown into black water this may sound dumb do you have to make sure when you're writing a book like this that that is physically possible for the eyeball yeah. to do yeah i mean uh, look
1: what are the odds of this happening not great um but certainly i talked to a friend who's a doctor he's like oh yeah that could happen you've got to exaggerate the real to make the real to get the reader to feel the real mm-hmm. or to get the audience to feel the real if it's a play so you've got to exaggerate the, the reel a little bit, shorthand the reel. So I wanted something that the reader would feel. It would have been easy to say, crack his head open, you know what I mean? Because that would be accurate. Or you got to nail it to the, what, the stanchion there like that. Zadino a Dino hit from a few years back, you know. Right. Um, but why
0: not have this? Why not have something that the character can't turn from? I'm sure a lot of students show up in Manhattanville and they just think, I can write creatively. Therefore, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to write a story about a guy who's smoking a cigarette and it's going to be great. I'm just going to write it because I'm a great writer and I can do that. It feels like every page here is oozing with research, um, research after research after research about little details about whether this can happen, whether that can happen, what it would smell like, what it would look like. And I wonder, I've never written fiction. How much research is there? How, how involved is it to make sure what you are writing is accurate to a, at least a reasonable degree? For me, a massive
1: amount. Uh, I would feel terrible uh, and embarrassed if there were things that rang untrue. So to cover that embarrassment, potential embarrassment uh, uh, and disease, I, um, I did a huge amount of research. Right. So you mentioned that I, that I, that I teach creative writing, such as it is. Uh, I did giant plastic containers filled with notes and books and DVDs, and I bring those in, you know, the big bins. And I bring those in and they each one weighs now, you know, 30, 40 pounds. And I bring them in and I slap them on the table in front of the room. And I'm like, this is what you this is what I have to do. Others don't.
0: Uh, But this is what I have to do in order to write a novel. What are some of the things in your bins? Like, what, what's some of the stuff for this book, if I were looking in your bins for this stuff? Oh man, as I say, I wish
1: I could look at there. But first of all, tons of notes. I mean, this, uh, some of this book started to take place more in El Paso where the book starts, but it's not so much in there anymore. In fact, it's not in there at all anymore. Uh, but there's a lot of El Paso research, but all the hockey books, uh, all the hockey shows, everything you can think of from, you know, Probert to Dryden to, uh, it goes
0: on and, and on and on. But why are you reading about Bob, like just an example, why are you reading about Bob Probert? Like, what are you looking for?
1: I'm looking for those details, and this is true of all the hockey stuff that I would look at, and it would be true if I was researching something else. Uh, I'm, now, I got to say again, that I'm drawn to this. This is a place and a job that I'm drawn to. If you asked me to write about, I don't know, a, a nuclear submarine team, uh, wow, well, that could be a great book. I'm not drawn to that, so there's no way that, that I could be, like, I could find the details that ring true to me. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. I think that's why maybe, even for non I can never make a career either of these things because uh, it, it has to be something that sort of pulls at me. So since I'm pulled at it, I feel like I've got this sense of, okay, that's a detail that strikes me, the me that was, pr- that was attracted to this to begin with, that strikes me as accurate, it strikes me as accurate, these little things, you know? Um, so you can see language that's used over and over, uh, slang that's used over and over. and That could be a trap. You don't want to see. Uh, uh, it's, my, it's my strong feeling that I don't want to come across as someone who is claiming in any way to be an expert in the world of hockey, in the world of CTE, which the book deals with. Um, this is a fictional, a slender fictional account of, one man's life which involves place and work that interests
0: me. What's interesting is um, you don't want to be confused as an expert, but you a million percent don't want someone reading your book and stopping somewhere and saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This isn't that's right. That's right. Uh, which is interesting. That's kind of a toughie, isn't it? Yeah. There's a really
1: tough line to well, it's, you just have, I just, I just have to trust myself. You know, I have to trust my gut and hope that in fact, my gut is correct. You know, man, right.
0: you know what I mean? You kiss a lot of girls, Jeff. One thing I was thinking about, all right, so there's a point in this book where you bring in, so again, it's a hockey player. He's battered. Uh, he's been traveling around. He comes home because his mom dies. So he comes back to Southie, you know, which made famous from Goodwill Hunting and, um, he's kind of down on his luck and nothing has gone right and he he's, has no relation with his daughter and blah, 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 blah. And you bring in this character, Kip. Yeah. And there was a moment where I thought, oh, fuck. I swear. Like, and it lasted about a quarter of a page where I thought, here we go. Like, he's going to turn into a nice guy and Kip is going to be the endearing guy who becomes like his son and he treats mm-hmm. him like he never had a relation with his daughter so here comes and you didn't. You actually didn't. I was so freaking relieved you didn't. It seems like in writing fiction, there has to be a natural pull, like a gravitational pull to go cliche that you really have to fight because cliches come so easy and cliched narratives are so common and we're so used to them. And I wonder, do you find yourself consciously or unconsciously trying to avoid things that might come too easily?
1: Well, trying to avoid cliches, certainly. I mean, certainly. I mean, there's been so many books told. There's been so many stories told. I mean, you know, um, that I always talk about like, you know, raising the cliché flag or something like that. So I feel like, you know, anything can be a cliché, but something might just be conventional. And that conventional, if it's honestly come to, can move into something interesting and hopefully powerful. Wait, what's the difference between the two, in your opinion? What do you mean? Okay, well, so just what you said. You know, I don't want to give too much of the book away since nobody uh, has read it yet, but to suggest that, right, so this kid comes into Oak's life. That's already raising the cliché flag, as you, as you pointed out. It's like, oh, man, like a kid comes in. And by the way, he's got a daughter that he had when he was, you know, I mean, that's also raising the cliché flag to me, you know, a daughter he hasn't seen. But that doesn't mean that... To me, if it's something that I'm drawn to, that since I was drawn to it, it goes back to what we were saying uh, at the start, which is, I feel like you got to write from your gut and, and your heart. And it's a true in-body experience. Like, I'm writing in the body of Oak, and looking out from Oak's point of view. And I really feel that in my body. So I'm not trying to brain this thing out. Like, if I were trying to brain this thing out, I'd be like, okay, there's this kid, and the kid comes in, and that starts to soften this guy, because see, that's what children can do, and this sort of thing. The love he never had, this sort of thing, would be like it would just be too much up in the brain, and it wouldn't work. It's not connected to anything real, and it's not connected to the felt sense of the character in the body. So I said earlier, okay, you know, a, a middle-aged housewife, to use that that cliched term, and to use that antiquated term, uh, how could you possibly write a good book about someone trapped in the conformity of of suburban Kansas City? Who just worries about whether anyone used the the, 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 the the you know the doilies in the in the guest bathroom? Um, it seems like there'd be nothing there except to talk about either the oppression of suburbia or uh, she's going to have an affair with a you know I don't know you know something like this. It's just the cliche. And yet there's Mrs. Bridge. Uh, I don't know if you know that novel, but it's a magnificent uh, uh, novel uh, from the fifties quite experimental in its form about this staid, Kansas city, quote unquote, housewife. Right. And it depicts your life in such a powerful way. That is incredibly moving to me. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I think one can write about anything if one feels connected to it, but if you don't feel connected to it and you just think it's a good idea, it's probably going to be a problem and potentially a cliche.
0: When I was reading your book, I had in my head, the voice of your character was um, Mickey Rourke from the wrestler. When you're writing a book and you have characters, in your mind, do you have a very clear vision of what they look like, what they sound like, what their voice is, blah, blah, blah? Does that stuff travel? Yeah, I know what they, I'm uh,
1: telling you, is, is I know what they feel like. Sometimes, no, I don't know what they look like sometimes. I have to think about that. Um, so we did a revision of this book just uh, last January, something like that. So I had to go back, obviously. You know, they bought it two years ago, and then there's always a, a lag time, as you, as you know, particularly, I think, for fiction. And we finally went back to it and I did some rewriting on it and worked with a great, great editor named Michael Signorelli who really helped. But I couldn't remember if Oak had a beard or not and, and things like that. I like, oh, what does he look like? That's right, you know. But, man, I know what his face felt like, strangely enough. <laughs> right.
0: uh, and I guess the whiskers didn't matter one way or the other. Too much. That's funny. Uh-huh. Um, how do you um, – I miss fiction also intimidates me because it just seems like it comes with a million complications – I write a book about the Lakers, right? Um, yeah. Just as an example. I have a book coming out around the same time you do about the Lakers. That book comes with the assistance of, number one, a gazillion Laker fans. Number yeah. two, sports radio. Number three, sports TV, sports social media. You know, like a million different things come attached to that subject that will help me with the subject. When you were trying to sell this book, did you, you wrote it first and then you found a publisher. Is that how it worked? Yeah. How do you go about selling a piece of fiction? Like, how do you go about pitching it, selling it? What is that process like? Well, I suspect it's similar to yours,
1: except that a writer of my unknown stature doesn't uh, sell a book on an idea. I don't know if any novelists do, to be honest with you. I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, But I certainly don't. Um, But, you know, I have an agent, and my agent uh, is a a really great, great guy and and, uh, clearly a man of taste. And, uh, and he sent it around to editors that he thought would like it. And we ended up uh,
0: quite happily uh, uh, so far with, with, with Blackstone. You spend 10 years working on a book, and you actually don't know if you will have a publisher for the book, right? Yeah, yeah. That is insane. Yeah. That is absolutely <laughs> yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. I need, yeah, it's a different world, isn't it? <laughs> well, because I need the hanging <laughs> carrot. Like, I need, okay, here's your deadline. There's an editor there who's going to get pissed if you don't get it in on time. I don't know how you find, maybe that's why it takes 10 years. Like, I don't know how you find the motivation not knowing. And what do you do if you don't get a publisher? Do you self-publish? Do you just kind of move on and say, well, that sucks?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm not going to, I, I didn't consider that. Um, luckily, I guess I've written 10 short stories or something and a couple of novels, and they've all gotten published. So my assumption is, my assumption is going back to where we started, if, it's, if I'm feeling connected to it, someone else will feel connected to it. Um, Now that doesn't mean a lot of people are going to be connected to it. I don't know. One hopes, but how can I know that? Right. There's this notion of, you know, where do these stories come from anyways? You know, Jeff, where, where, you know, where do we come from? Where are we before we're born? Where are we after we die? These sort of questions interest me. Um, So this notion of where does this book come from? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I could give you some answer, but it just sort of comes from the inside and we're drawn to things in our lives and somehow taking this inside piece and, kind of projecting it onto an outside piece when you make this third thing called a novel. So that's what I mean, though, when I say, like, there are writers who are great, uh, 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 who can write a lot of books. Um, I'm not that interested in that many things, you know. To me, the 10 years is a pleasure because it's been a real pleasure. It's been torment, too, needless to say. But it's a pleasure to immerse myself into
0: something that I'm drawn to.
1: Before we continue at Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who has something to say.
1: Hi, I'm Casey Perlman, and when I drink, I really drink. And my choice in whiskey brands is Old Crow. Smooth going down, warms the innards, and gets me super drunk in about eight seconds. Old Crow, the official get-yourself-wasted choice of Two Riders Slinging Hey, wait, whoa, whoa!
0: What the heck? This is an ad for 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, jerseys, all at 503-sports.com.
1: Dad, seriously, this pandemic is going on for another six years. I haven't left the house since March. Can an underage high school senior just have her whiskey?
0: I feel like I've really failed as a father. For you, what is the greatest torture of it all?
1: Oh, the unknowing, the uncertainty. You know, some days you know this from writing too. I I think this is true of all writing and, and likely true of many arts and many businesses as well, but it's the unknowing, you know, where some days it's going well, and then you've gone down an avenue, I've gone down an avenue that it, it goes nowhere, or I'm bullshitting myself. I'm trying to pretend that this is working. That's the kind of head taking over because it would be real nice if it was, but man, it's, it's not. This book was, this. I mean, to tell you a, a short publishing story on, around this book, um, we tried to sell a different version of it. Mm-hmm uh, the year before we sold this one. And we had editors interested in it, but nobody enough that was going to take it on. And that left me to the point where I could have said, well, I guess it's no good. Um, or I guess it's, you know, nobody wants to take it and and publish it. So there's not an audience for it. Um, I could have done that or I could have said, okay, well, why is that? You know, I'm pretty sure it's going to connect with people. It hasn't connected. What is it about it that hasn't connected? Uh, and then I got some ideas that are now very present in this, in this, in this draft and, and we sold it. Wait, how different was that
0: version from this version? 20%. So you had to, you basically try to sell it. You don't get what you want. And then you look into yourself and you say, all right, I'm going to go back and just rejigger this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go back and say, Listen, man, again, because it's not an idea-based book. If this was a, a high-concept idea-based book and nobody wanted, I wouldn't know where to go because I'm like, well, it's all dependent on the idea. But this book isn't per se directly and largely dependent on the ideas, dependent on this world and this character moving through a series of high-pressure situations. Um, and as I say, it's, I don't know, man, like if this book hadn't gotten published, I would be uh, – and, and to say getting published is not necessarily the end all. So I think I'll, I'll revise that and say, this book hadn't connected with people who didn't know me. In this case, agent publisher and some, and some of the blurred people who I didn't know. I'm then that nice publisher weekly review. Um, I would have been shaken a little bit because yeah. the place I teach from um, is what produced this book. What do you mean? trying to get the student writers to feel connected to the bodies of their characters, not their brainy ideas of their characters. All right. I got it. Um, This is a high concept. And the high concept is if you want to write a mystery, man, you got to use your brain. Right. You know, I I can't write a mystery.
0: (laughs) Um, Are you as sort of fickle as I am where, um, you get a great publisher's weekly review. It's so it's literally, so I got a really good publisher's weekly review recently too. Right. And I get cool. it. And you're like, yes, that's awesome. I'm so happy. Mom, dad, look at this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's literally some man or woman I've never met before. Like one person who liked the book and wrote a review of it. And yet it made my freaking day. It makes, <laughs> no sense. it makes no sense. Right. It makes no sense. Are you the same way? No, no, I'm much too cool and zen to admit to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. Listen, I mean, we want an audience. This is entertainment after all. You know, I want people to like the book, of course. I mean, but you know how it goes over the years as we get, as we get old, as we see more of life. It's like, all right. I mean, I've worked very hard too in all aspects of life, to, um, to let that be what it is, you know one person's opinion. And I'm glad to have that opinion and it feels really good. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, great man, you got what I was trying to do. That's really cool. That feels good because that's what I was hoping you would get and you put it so, you know, different any blurbs or things like that and you put it so beautifully uh uh back to me. That's what we're trying to do is what? Connect, right? Right. So um so it feels good to connect. But if I don't connect, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? What are you going to do? You don't know where those who are picking up your books, you don't know where they're coming from, what their expectations are. How can we know, Jeff?
0: You know? It's funny. I, um, every now and then, someone will send me a, a, a picture of my Roger Clemens biography, which I wrote about a decade ago. Sure. And they'll send it from the 25-cent bin in a bookstore, or the dollar bin at Books A <laughs> Million. And um, uh, I think when that first happened, it stung. And now when it happens, I just find it really funny Because you realize it's just all a freaking crapshoot, and that's all it is. It's just a crapshoot, and you could write the greatest thing. Somewhere out there is the greatest novel ever written that four people read. You know, it's just a crapshoot.
1: Maybe so, yeah. I think it's more than a crapshoot. I think that's dismissing it a little bit. Um, I do, I mean, because clearly there are good books that also really connect with a lot of people, um, and the people aren't just reading the hype. They're not just buying into the hype. They are connecting with it. So I don't think I would say it's just a crapshoot. But of course, there's always an element of timing and, and luck and, and and zeitgeist, you know. <laughs> will you give me 30% crapshoot? Can I get 30%? Yeah, sure. All right, 30%. I'll take. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. So, you know, my other book's long, long out of print. And uh, so sometimes I, I want copies of them and I will buy used copies of my yeah. own book. Uh, you get them for a penny oftentimes, by the way. Uh, mine anyways. Uh, and, I, and, so, and they, you know, they always say new or, like, you know, in, in really good condition. So, and so those would be the ones that I would purchase. Uh, and I got one. And, of course, it not only was not new and in really good condition, it was in decent condition. It was certainly in unread condition. And as I opened it up, there was my inscription to someone <laughs> I know, by the way. <laughs> so not only had they not read it, they turned it in and somehow ended up in back in my head. I said, don't
0: think that's not duly noted, Jeff. I, I, won't say who I, just, I just want to say the same thing has happened to me. In fact, <laughs> I think a bunch of my books signed are available on, like, eBay. Not that I've ever looked. I mean, I have. And uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, I'm looking right now. Albert himself, your 2001 book, available for, actually, i got to say, a respectable $2.79. Yeah, okay, it, that's good to know. Because yeah. you can get my Clemens book for a nickel. <laughs> um, that's just because
1: there's more of them. <laughs>
0: Wait, I wonder if you go through this. So you, again, your first book came out in 2001. So we're talking yeah. almost a decade ago. Yep. Um, are you a significantly better writer now than you were then? If you were to reread your book now. Oh, yeah. Would you be I like, this is book. trash? Or would you like?
1: No, nah, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't get
0: better writer again is one of those questions
1: that it's like, I don't know how to, how to assess that, really, to be honest with you. Because if I could be a better writer now, I would be. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't, I'm trying my best. Um, But yeah, sure. Uh, I'm thinking of putting that book, you know, on Amazon as like a self-publish if if the people that put it out don't want to reissue it, which I doubt they will. Um, And I will definitely go through and give it a little gloss. I started reading it and I thought, okay, you know, I I get it. Some of this, you know, I still feel connected to it, but perhaps some of the language delivery would be a little bit different. Right. How's that? Yeah. I mean, Um, do you feel you're a better writer now or you just the writer that you are now. And what are you supposed to do? You can't go back and be the writer you were for better or for worse.
0: I think I'm better now, actually. I think I've learned a lot of, I mean, you know what I think though, that I, it's definitely more, you feel it more in the books I write than yours just because of the fiction versus nonfiction is, I'm a much, much, much better reporter now than I used to be. I can see that skill being something you could develop, sure. When you finish a book, you've worked on this book forever and this character becomes one way or another a part of you, are you sad to leave them all behind? The members of this cast you created is there any sadness like oh that's it i'm done with oak more of a
1: more of a 30 percent, maybe less 15 percent doubt that i've done all i could on behalf of this of this character in this world but not so much sad it's a strange thing in just thinking about our talk here today i was like man i've forgotten so much i'm sure you must have this i've forgotten so much that i knew in the writing of this book, sure. it's still fresh. I can tell you a lot, but you know, um, yeah, I just—I mean, I can't tell you like what I took from Ken Dryden's book. Let's just say, since I mentioned it earlier, I know what I've taken from Ken Dryden, talking about no hits to the head and things like that, and his positioning on that. But I mean, there's just a lot of stuff
0: that has on. You know, do you get that? Do you do you, of do you? The awkward part I've had so during the during COVID, sports radio has really gone dead because there wasn't that much to talk about. Yeah. And people would say, Oh, we want to have you on to talk about the eighty six Mets. Well, I wrote a book about the eighty six Mets. Yeah, of that course. Was it's hard to bring back I don't feel like I'm really an expert on the eighty six Mets anymore because that was yeah. so long ago.
1: That's it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And you could give yourself three to six months, but man, you'd have to get that back too, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I basically skim the book, like the guy on the show
0: is doing. We're basically doing the same thing I wrote the book. Listen, I had to reread mine before our talk. I was like, What oh. the hell is this book? Well, that is funny because you said to me, Can we talk ahead of time? And I think you were there has been a gap in mean, the completion of the book, obviously, and the release, which allows for other things to enter the brain. So, uh,
1: Yeah, but and also my thought was, well, all right, like let, if we want to talk CTE as a fiction writer, you know, I have my understanding of it and my understanding of the, say, the NHL's relationship to it and sports in general's relationship to it. But I am not up to the minute with it. Sure. There are some lawsuits going on that I'm not seeing if they've been completed, for instance. Right. Um, things like that does
0: that make sense of course yeah how do you promote a work of fiction again laker book coming out all right who can we hit up what uh what sports radio is going to have us on what blah 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 excerpts etc etc fiction seems so difficult to promote as far as getting word out do you have any idea how to do it not so much to be honest with
1: you i mean uh clearly Blackstone has a publicity department. We're trying to get reviews, or trying to get it into the hands of people that we think would like it. Um, we're trying to get into local interest newspapers, the Cape Cod newspapers, the Massachusetts newspapers, things like that. It's it's uh, bookstores, of, co- of course, and uh, I mean I would love to do high school events, the high school zooms, things like that, um, just to kind of let some students know that this world is out there to them that this world writing is out there to them if they're interested uh, as well as to talk sort of i guess you know the sociology of, of, of 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 this kind of world of sports um but, yeah, I don't have, I, mean, I don't think there is a huge plan. Um, I, I kind of know that the first book, the, the, there was some talk of, well, you know, we throw it up against a wall and see if it wins the National Book Award. And if not, there's not much we can do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that was a very, very
0: quiet and small book. This book is louder, and I, and I hope we'll have some people excited for it. We'll see. You don't need my advice, but I just want to say if I were talking to your publicist, if I were your publicist, yeah. I'd be all about NHL writers. I'm being sincere. I'd be all yeah. about NHL writers. I would get a copy to every NHL writer because the season's about to end. And they're going to have dead time. I would get it to every NHL writer. I think sure. it's that good of a book, man. I think it's a freaking masterclass on writing. I do. I think the detail's amazing. I think the story's amazing. I was sad when it was over. I freaking loved it. And I had no intention of like caring about this book. Could not put the thing down. There's an audience out there for this one. I really believe it. Well, I appreciate it. I really do. It makes me feel really good to hear you say that. So thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, let me see the last thing. You, um, we, have a, we share a common bond in Manhattanville. You teach writing in Manhattanville. Yeah. I've had this question, and I've asked this question a million times in my life. Can you teach someone to be a good writer?
1: Probably not, you know. I mean, sure, probably. It depends. Again, what do you mean by good? Can you teach so? I mean, uh, oh, I'll tell you, in about, oh, I don't know, because I've been teaching now, you know, for, for over 20 years, college, you know, um, and... I had a little crisis of faith, maybe in the early 2000s, something like that, um, in which I said to myself, I said, you know, what am I doing here? This is like, am I a snake oil salesman? You know, these students pay this money, and we kind of talk about their work, and some of it's great, frankly. We've had some your own, your own wife's been, you know, as a student, right? Uh, some of it's great, and, and, and some of it is not yet great, you know? Will they, can they move to greatness? I don't know. Who am I to say? But at this point, it's not, you know what I mean? And so we work with the students, those sorts of students as well, of course. Um, But I said to them that I was like, look, man, I may never have another book published. You know, you're paying me to talk writing to you and I may never get another book published. I don't have a book deal. I don't have a three book deal. You know, I don't know if I'll ever get one published again. Who knows? Um, Maybe I'll have five. Who knows? Um, And you may... Certainly, given the odds of this thing, never have a book published in your lifetime. And yet here you are getting your undergraduate degree in creative writing or even your graduate degree in creative writing. So what are we doing here? You know, should we just call this thing off? Um, I was a little, you know, kind of kind of uh, hesitant to even, to even say that out loud. It's like, does the emperor have no clothes here? Um, but just about to a person, I guess I would say to a person. Um the students had different reasons for wanting to be in there. You know, they had this sense of improvement in their life. They had the sense of these stories were meaningful to them, and the improvement of the stories was meaningful to them, and maybe just to their friends or their, to their family. Uh, and while they would like to get published, that wasn't, that wasn't just the reason to be there. Um, I don't know, like, you, do you have a tennis coach? Do you have a running coach? You know what I mean? I mean, didn't you play tennis? I, crazy? I ran
0: though I did run.
1: You run. Right. That's right. I mean, you know, maybe you knew you weren't going to get to a certain level, but you might have. You know what I mean? And so nevertheless, there's an enjoyment in that process. I don't know. Uh, then I have to look at myself there, there, and look at your stuff. There is some enjoyment to this process. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I was listening to, a, you know, so this, these podcasts are new to me, Jeff. You know, it's, 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 I'm finally catching up to about the year 1999 you know, or something <laughs> that. Uh, But, uh, so, of course, I was listening to some of yours. But I was listening to Annie Prue, you know that writer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she had a short podcast, and uh, she was saying that writing for her is a pleasure. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go that far, man. But, yep. And I remember, like, Flannery O'Connor is like, you know, if you can do anything, I think it was her. We'll say it was her. You can do anything else, you know, you know, than writing. You know, do that, you know. <laughs> no. uh, so I don't know. I'm somewhere in between in that. But if uh, I'm, let me ask you this: If if you knew you weren't going to get published again in some aspect, wouldn't would you still write?
0: I mean, for enjoy. I guess for enjoyment, I would. But I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find the uh, the lows are very very low. It's like the lows are low. It's like yeah, the lows. Are, I you know I once I interviewed a football player when I was working a Brett Favre book, and I asked him. Yeah. He played one year for the Cleveland Browns when they went three and thirteen, and then he played for the Packers when they lost the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he said, losing the Super Bowl was far worse than going three and thirteen because he said the pain of losing a Super Bowl is so severe that mm-hmm. he would just never want to go through that again. And there are times when I am going through this process of writing a book when the doubt. And the angst and the anxiety kicks in and the self-loathing that I, you know, I wonder if it's I do. I have moments. where I'm like, well, why, am I, why do I do this to myself again and again and again? It's like carving out a piece of my body again and again and again. Sure. But then the freaking highs are really
1: high. I'm like, well, what's interesting, I mean, I, I don't mean to interrupt, uh, but to jump on that. It's like the but then is what's interesting, isn't it? Cause I feel that too. Of course, you know, you get really, it gets really hard. It's just like, it's, it's low level, low level depressing mm-hmm. that of course carries over into the days and weeks. Um, so then what the, you know, let's just stop doing it. But
0: here's the thing, right? I always think this, like, the joy wouldn't be the joy without the pain. That's the whole catch 22 of it all. Like you yeah. can't, that's why drugs like snorting Coke, which I haven't done, but it's is such a cheap high for people because it doesn't take any work and there's nothing behind it. It's just an empty high. You get this high and then you want again and again and again and again, but it doesn't really have that much meaning. It's like tinfoil, but this stuff, the reason that the joy of you seeing your book published wouldn't exist if you didn't fucking bust your ass for 10 years trying to do it, you know? And like, that's the whole catch 22 of it all. You don't get both. I mean, you don't get one or the other. You got to have them both. I guess that's true life, isn't it? Why, why do you call this podcast Slinging Yang?
1: That makes me think of Yang, or I guess it's pronounced Yang, Yang Yin. Is this some hip term that I suspect
0: I don't know about? It actually, I'm, I'm less hip than you would think, which is not that you would think I'm hip. Um, yeah, let's not get carried away. Yeah. There, uh, there was a Lauryn Hill song off the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill album. It's one of my favorite albums. Sure. And she said, I always thought she said Slinging Yang, meaning talking shit. And she actually said, I think she said Talking Yang or something. But I... I misunderstood <laughs> what you said. Name my podcast: Two Riders, Slinging Yang. <laughs> <Lauren> <laughs> well, Hill. it's
1: great, of course, because you know I do a fair amount of Tai Chi and things. At, the, uh, at study at a school here in New York, and you know, so Slinging Yang is good, man. That's the that's the punch. There you go. You know, Terminal. but then you got to have the Yin. You know, you got to pull it back. I don't have any Yin, just Yang. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what we're just talking about here, though. The the, the low and the high, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Can I ask you a question while 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 we're here? I mean, you can edit sure. this out if you, if, you, if you need but how do you pick your topics what, it, is it because you're drawn uh, I mean I know you've got to think the market a little but, but why this new Lakers book I mean what a great topic but why I mean
0: I kind of have three uh, three
1: why not three? You know, the Pistons from, from, from a few years earlier you know what I mean yeah.
0: I, don't think the Pistons, I don't think a Pistons book sells and right. I do have to eat my kids have to eat yeah so, also it's a better story the Lakers than the Pistons definitely you know yeah I mean, and I also live out here, which makes it, but I really have three criteria. Number one is a subject that hasn't been done or hasn't been done super duper well. Like definitively, there's, you know, this is my book covers 96 to 04 Lakers and there haven't, hasn't been a Shaq Kobe dynasty book that just really stretches out. Uh, number two, does it have a chance of selling? doesn't mean it will sell. Clemens' book didn't sell well, but Clemens' book had a chance of selling. It was a big name, big market, blah, blah, blah. And then number three, can I do, can I take two, two and a half years and not go insane with the subject? Yeah. So, and that Laker book almost this the one's coming out almost. I mean, I it was as close to going insane as I've ever gotten in a book. But yeah, that's the thing with nonfiction.
1: Of course, is is uh, lack of cooperation. I would think. Yeah. Avenues can, that pursue with fiction people. I mean, I talk to a lot of people in minor league hockey and things, and they they love to talk about. That. They would love to talk about because they know I'm just getting a sense. I'm not going to like quote right. them directly or things like this. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, Jeff, love the book so great wish you much success with this i would do my all to trumpet your your work and uh i appreciate you doing this seriously it's been awesome thanks jeff it's been it's
1: been great to talk with you and 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 thanks for i'm glad you like the book thank you yeah
0: (laughs) I want to thank today's guest, Jeff Benz, for joining me on Two Riders Sling and Yang. You can order The Mighty Oak wherever books are sold. And trust me, it's a terrific read. One can listen to Two Riders Sling and Yang on pretty much every podcast medium, and reviews are always appreciated. My new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe Shaq Phil and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty, drops next Tuesday, and it's available for advanced purchase everywhere. Music is by the dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.